Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I analyze and argue over (laughs) horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our month-long discussion of the ghosts of J-Horror with, frankly, the, the one that, at the very least everyone considers to be either the best or the most recognizable, which is Renu from 1998, uh, directed by Hideo Nakata, uh, who also did the film Dark Water, which we talked about last week. Uh, it was written by Hiroshi Takahashi, who uh, continued to work in the Rain franchise for a bit, also did Rain 2, uh, Reno Zero, I think he did another Rain film. Uh, he also wrote uh, Juon Origins, which came out on Netflix, I think, a year or two ago. Uh, which was pretty solid, and it's based on the novel by Koji Suzuki, which admittedly I have not read, but I hear really good things about. Uh, mm-hmm. I also hear that the film's quite a bit different, too. So Yeah, that's what I've heard before. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but it was written by him. A- and essentially, for those that haven't seen Renewed, this film deals with a uh, a woman, a reporter, who discovers this sort of curse about this videotape that is passed from person to person and if you watch it you become cursed and you are murdered within a week (laughs) (laughs) and uh and she watches the tape like an idiot (laughs) and uh and finds herself trying to unravel the mystery of the curse and save herself before her week is up so uh it was remade into a film with naomi watts which is also quite excellent and that's probably how a lot of you have seen it i don't know how many people have actually seen the original (laughs) uh the original (laughs) renew but uh, before we get into spoilers and all that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. So, as far as releases go this week, they're eh, really not a great week for releases. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, there's In Search of Darkness Part 2, uh, which is going to be on Shutter by the time you're listening to this. And this was reviewed by Kalani Landgraf, who you can follow on Twitter at CheesyBones. And uh, Kalani reviewed this for KillerHeartCrake.com, so you can find a review there. Uh, but In Search of Darkness Part 2 is basically just a continuation of the first film, which is a documentary on 80s horror, and it covers everything in 80s <laughs> horror from, like, 1980 to 1989. Uh, it goes year by year and just talks about fucking everything, you that know? That sounds really fucking intense. Look, if, if you are into 80s horror, I, I say that In Search of Darkness Parts 1 and 2 are essential viewing, you know? I, I don't know how much the documentary actually teaches you about behind the scenes stuff so like i you know if you're kind of like a big horror nerd who who looks into all these kind of things and you know watches all the commentaries and gets all the facts like i don't know how much in search of darkness is really going to shine a light on for you Mm -hmm. but overall it's just a really fun documentary because it it goes back and just talks to 
like fucking everyone who was involved in 80s horror at the time. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's interviews with like John Carpenter, Robert England, Kane Hodder, you know, like uh, Kelly Maroney. Like there's just there's just tons of people that they got to talk to for this. And it just goes through so many different films. Like you've probably seen quite a few of them, but I guarantee there's at least one movie talked about in this documentary that you probably haven't seen. Uh, so no, big time recommended. It overall between both parts, which I do think both parts are on Shutter. Uh, overall, between the two of them, it's like eight hours long. So, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I interviewed the director, David Wiener, a long time ago, and I remember him just telling me that they had like hundreds of hours of footage for this. <laughs> and and it definitely shows up like you can tell that they just got so much content for this. Um, but no, it's great. So if you got a free weekend and you got eight hours to spare, definitely check out In Search of Darkness. But uh, other than that, uh, there's a film called Murderberry Wynn, which is going to be on VOD by the time you're listening to this. It's basically about uh, uh, game creators who are trying to sell their game. They get an investor opportunity, and long story short, an accidental murder ends up happening, <laughs> and then they... <laughs> And then they spill, and then they spend the film trying to cover it up, and you know, kind of using tactics that they've learned from the game that they have created, which is all about getting away with murder. I have not seen the film myself. It was reviewed by uh, Jeffrey W. Hollinsworth for KillerHorrorCritic.com, so you can find Jeffrey's review there. You can follow Jeffrey on Twitter at umbrella underscore ops ops. Uh, Jeffrey didn't seem all that impressed with it, and so I can't speak much on it. I haven't seen it. Uh, Jeffrey was kind of mentioning how it's a little bit drab and the comedy is not as effective as you might hope. Um, but, but that being said, I mean, I think the, the trailer made it look fun. Uh, the premise is interesting for sure. So if that sound, if, if you're into these kind of murder, murder cover-up comedies <laughs> or whatever, you know, maybe this is one that you want to check out. If you're uh, into accidental murder. Who isn't into <laughs> accidental murder? We've all been there, right? We've, we've all, oh, yeah. we've all had a murder to cover up occasionally of at course. some point in our lives. Uh, but, and then lastly is a film called Things Heard and Seen, which is going to be coming to Netflix. I really don't know much about this one. I, I believe it stars Amanda Seyfried, uh, and it appears to be some kind of, like, haunting film. Uh, but I have not seen it. We have not reviewed it yet, so I can't really say much more than that. But that's how slim the releases are this week, because I just really didn't <laughs> have much else to mention. Uh, so, so hopefully there's something there that you can enjoy this weekend, but... Otherwise, uh, another thing we'd like to do before we get into the film here is run a poll on Twitter at Killer Critics and just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you all think of it overall. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on Renew? I feel like it has to be love it because I feel like this is everybody's like go-to favorite like J-horror film. Yes, you'd be correct. So love it, of course, is uh, 49% here. 33% said it's fine, 18% said never seen it, and 0% said don't like it, which I think might be a first for yeah. us. <laughs> uh, and I guess that kind of speaks to the effectiveness of Renew, is like, even if it's a movie that you don't love, mm -hmm. I, I think it's really hard to hate this movie. Agreed. You know, because it, it does do so much well. Um, but as far as, our, as far as some comments from you all, and again, these are all from Twitter, uh, at Metal Lehman 72 hopefully I said that okay, it's Metal, and then L-I-M-A-N, and then the number is 72. Uh, it says, it's very good and much better than what came afterwards. One of the better of the wave of J-Horrors that came out around it, genuinely spooky, and creates a good atmosphere, or, and creates a great atmosphere of dread. 
Yeah, the atmosphere is what I really dig in Ringo. Like, I think they do a really good job of doing this suspenseful atmosphere that can kind of get under your skin. And yeah, it's it's definitely one of the the better ones to have come out. I haven't seen any of the sequels, although I did watch the prequel before I watched the original. You would. <laughs> yeah, I well, I got the whole like four box set, so it had all of them and like a dum dum. You're I, like Reno Zero. That must be the first yes, one. <laughs> that's exactly what happened, and I got really confused. And yeah, then I saw no, the original. Note to self: I, I, I think I think most first films don't title themselves whatever the title plus zeros. <laughs> Look, I'm not the smartest crayon in the box. No, you're not, but you're still bright in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so I, I would also agree with that. I do think that the film contains a lot of dread. You know, we talked about this last week and how Hideo Nakata does bring a lot of that atmosphere to his movies. I mean, honestly, you know, if you watch a lot of the better J-horror films, they are really great at atmosphere. Yeah. They're, you know, a lot of these movies came from a time before... Before jump scares have really taken over. And look, I, I don't want to knock jump scares. You know, I've I've matured in my horror fandom and, and and I get it. You know, jump scares are very effective for a lot of you. And so I'm not going to knock them. Uh, but when it comes to me, I do always prefer the atmosphere and dread that just kind of really slowly works its way under your skin. Right. Yeah. And, and Renu is one of those. Like there there's maybe one or two moments in this entire movie that make you kind of jump out of your seat. Otherwise, it's just getting under your skin and kind of, you know, ratcheting up your nerves. So, but anyway, thank you, Metal Lehman, for, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at D-O-T-D Horror, and I believe they're a podcast. Um, so check them out. But they say, just saw it recently for the pod. In my opinion, it still holds up and the pacing is very good. Yeah, I would agree with you that the pacing for this movie is fantastic. As you've heard me on the show before, I'm not a fan of slow moving horror films because I have a very <laughs> short attention span. Chris is part of the ADHD <laughs> <laughs> fandom. That <laughs> yep. So if a movie like this can keep my attention with its pacing, even though it's not super like fast paced with anything, then I think that's a testament to how well they do that. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it, there's not, you know, I never like to say that there's not a lot going on in a movie because I always think that there's something going on every mm -hmm. scene that we're in. Um, but but in terms of, like, if you compared this to, say, Juwan, which we talked about earlier this month, mm -hmm. you know, Juwan's got shit happening left and right <laughs> from <laughs> from the very beginning, you know, like, that, that movie's almost nonstop scares and creepiness and people yep. being hunted by ghosts, right? And, and Renu is not quite that. Renu, Renu really takes its time to build the mystery and, uh, you know, build up uh, what's going on here with the tape and all that. So so it does. It asks you to be a little bit patient with it. But but I do think that the pacing is, is really good here. You know, it it does it just well enough to where people like Chris can <laughs> <laughs> maintain their attention and not get distracted by anything else, you know. Yep. And, and for people like me, I just think it's a really good mystery that lays out perfectly. So... Uh, so thank you, uh, DOD. So thank you, DOTD Horror, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at M Sawzall. So that's M S A W Z A L L, and they just say, "I like the remake, but love the original. It just seems so much more doomier." If I can invent a word. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. I saw the remake first because I saw it in theaters in high school, um, and I'm not gonna lie, it scared the shit out of me. But then getting to see the original, it is so much better just because it does that atmosphere, that doomy, creepy atmosphere so much better than the American remake is able to do. 
Yeah. Uh, so you are absolutely allowed to create a word, uh, <laughs> Sozzle. So, uh, and, and I will agree. It, it is a very doomy feeling or doomier than the original and or, or than the remake. And, you know, I, I think I, without spoiling anything, I think you can just see a lot of that in the last shot. I won't say what it is here. Yeah. But, but this one ends a bit differently than, uh, than the remake. You know, the remake very much kind of shows you what's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? And and the original kind of leaves a bit up to interpretation, and by doing that, it kind of gives you this sense of, like, you know, some of this is going to go on forever. Yeah. And I don't think that's a spoiler, considering that there are sequels to the movie, <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, but, it, but it gives you a greater sense of, you know, this tape is just never going to end mm -hmm. you know and that and that's something i really love about this compared to the remake so uh so anyway thank you m sozzle for the comment always appreciate it uh next up is at dardar finch so that's d-a-r-d-a-r-f-i-n-c-h and they say this is actually one of the few that i prefer the remake of uh some scenes in the original are genuinely creepier but i felt the u.s story was more fleshed out plus they cut out the psychic stuff that didn't resonate with me I'm weird, though, and then I also prefer Renew 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I can't speak to Renew 2 because I've never seen the sequel. Uh -huh. But I think it is an interesting difference between the American and the Japanese one. Is that with the American one, they do give us more concrete information about, you know, everything going on in the film. Whereas the Japanese one, like we just talked in the last question, leaves a lot more up to, like, interpretation and you kind of fitting well, the pieces together. Well, look, I mean, you can, you can see a ton of difference in the culture between uh, yeah. between the remake of of Renu, right and the original film like it it's it's a very stark contrast actually in how they handle the stories and a big part of that is what you just said is that you know the the american remake i mean let's be honest people american movies and american studios love to spoon feed the audience like they <laughs> they do not trust that you have any intelligence whatsoever and <laughs> and you know and, and you see this all the time so like we're recording this after the Oscars, right? Mm. And while I generally hate the Oscars, the <laughs> uh, one moment that really stood out to me was Harrison Ford reading reading exec notes from Blade Runner, and some of the notes are just stupid. All right, <laughs> like it's you know it's things like um, too slow or this doesn't make any sense or whatever you know. And it's basically just, it, it highlighted the point of how studio execs do not want to leave anything up to interpretation a lot of time. You know, you know, like they just, they do not want a single audience member walking out of the theater and going, I wonder what this meant or, <laughs> or what was that about? Like they, they literally do not want you to think they want you to walk out and just be like, that was cool or whatever, <laughs> you know, like they leave nothing up to interpretation a lot of times, especially these days. And I cannot stand it. But that was something that the original does do differently than the remake is that, you know, it leaves a lot up to interpretation. It, mm -hmm. it it doesn't it doesn't hold your hand through the movie. Nope. And and I'm not knocking the remake for doing some of that. It does add more value to a lot of things, but but no, they are very different that way. So I completely agree with Dardar. It's I still you know, I go back and forth actually in which one I prefer because I think that the original is spookier, but mm -hmm. the remake does it, it contextualizes a lot of the family drama that is not as highlighted here but anyway so i gotta move on so anyway just thank you daughter for the comment really appreciate it uh and then lastly is at shutter point three 
So that's Shutter with a T, S-H-U-T-T-E-R-P-O-I-N-T, and then the number three. Says, saw Renu before the remake came out. Both were great, but I preferred the pacing and the characters of the original. Uh, and I can't mention this next part that they said because it's a spoiler, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but they mentioned something that happens in the end and says that it's creepier without the digital effects that were added to the remake. Uh, and then just says it's a well-done, old-school supernatural story with some modern twists. Uh, I will say that I agree that I think the ending is stronger, you know, our, our scene we're trying not to talk about is stronger in the original than it is in the remake. But I do want to say this is a testament to how good this story is just as a baseline that we are having this argument about which one is better, the Japanese or the American, and both have valid points to them. I feel mm. like that doesn't happen very often when we're comparing an original and a remake from two different cultures. Well, I mean, I think it just goes to speak to the fact that it is a great story, right? Like, you know, it's it's one of those things that I don't want to say idiot-proof, but because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that any story is idiot-proof no. when it comes to filmmaking, but... Um, but it is one of those that it, I feel like the story of Renu is really hard to completely fuck up, right? Like, mm-hmm. there there is something inherently sinister and unsettling to it that uh, I believe it was Gore Verbinski who directed the remake and just did a phenomenal job with. But no, I, I agree. And I, I will say I do find the original's ending much creepier. It, it is better without the digital effects because, look, I, I'm always going to defend... <laughs> using practical in-camera effects as opposed to digital because, you know, something that something that always gets lost in this argument is like, you know, and not to rant about this, we'll we'll move <laughs> on, but uh but something that always gets lost in this argument is look, you know, part of the magic of filmmaking is what happens with your brain subconsciously. You know, films are like dreams. And when you sit in that theater or when you sit at home and you put on the movie your your brain you're you're allowing yourself to go somewhere else you know at, at least in an ideal scenario you're not sitting on your fucking phone and playing <laughs> games and you know doing a thousand other things and not paying attention to the movie uh which just makes me so sad that that's probably how most people watch <laughs> movies now but you know it's a dream and there there is something that goes on with your mind where you know essentially films are trying to trick you you know, that's that's all it is. It's, it's it's a magic trick, you know, like movies are a magic trick. And, you know, earlier films when you had shots of like, you know, a train coming towards the camera or something like that mm-hmm. and someone on the on the train tracks like that scared the shit out of people or they thought the train was like coming right at them. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, it's all magic. And and the the one thing that kind of defeats the magic a little bit is when you have these digital effects, because subconsciously your mind knows it's not real yeah you know like no matter how good it looks and we are constantly improving digital effects it never looks as good no or or it never convinces your brain as well as it does when it's practical so like you might look at practical effects from the 80s say and and look at it and say oh i know that's fake but guess what that practical 80s effect is going to trick your brain way better than something that's a bad digital effect in 2021. Yeah. You know, so it just, so it's just one of those things of like, I, I will always harp on this because I think digital effects lead to laziness uh, <laughs> on the filmmaker's part. You know, like if you cannot do it without digital effects, then by mm-hmm. all means. And, and, it, and it's fine if you want to combine the two. You know, I just think that if there, whenever there's an opportunity where you can go practical, go practical. Yeah. Just every time, go practical because it will age better. 
Anyway, that's my brief rant on that. I'm already a little bit buzzed here. Um, so <laughs> one last thing we like to do before we get into spoilers here with the film is just do a tagline versus the movie and kind of talk about the tagline and what we think of the movie overall. So one of the taglines I could find for Renu was, One curse, one cure, one week to find it. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Renu overall? Is it bad that my brain just went to Lord of the Rings and went to the One Ring to rule them all? Uh, not really. I mean, that's the first thing I think of. Thank right? you, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, but for me with, with Ringu, I, I think it's a really good and solid film. I think it's a good introduction into to J-Horror. And while it's not my favorite, I do think it is a fantastic movie that everybody should see, especially if you're a horror fan. Yeah. Yeah, I won't speak much of the tagline in this one. It's dumb. Uh, <laughs> I don't like it. But uh, as for the film overall, you know, I just want to say two really quick things. One, because it amuses me, is Renu opens on two girls watching a baseball game. And I, because baseball is very big in Japan. And mm-hmm. I just, I just love that eventually uh, Sadako, who is our ghost in Renu, uh, eventually actually played in a baseball match against. Um, Kayako. Against Kayako from The Grudge. <laughs> I love that clip so much. It's pretty amazing. If you've never, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and search for this. It's, it's wild. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's Japan doing things that I wish America did more of with their right? horror icons. Like they basically had Sadako and Kayako open up a baseball game, yep. you know, and like do all kinds of weird shit on the field. And like how many of you would kill to watch Jason and Freddy like open up a football game or something like that. Like how amazing would that be, right? That's all I want now. So 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 very cool. Definitely recommend definitely recommend looking that up, but I just love the movie opens on baseball and Sadako eventually did that. So. <laughs> but the other thing I want to mention that we're going to get more into through the episode here is just, you know, it's always fun to kind of watch the filmography of different directors and sort of get a feeling for the kind of stories they like to tell. And something that I've noticed with uh, Hideo Nakata and just talking about, you know, his films for the last two weeks is that he really likes to get into the kind of fam- the, the dynamics of a broken family, you know? Yeah. Because Dark Water is all about divorce and, and what a single mother is going through, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like, her, her love for her child and trying to overcome, like, her fears of letting, the, letting her kid down, right? Mm-hmm. And... What's interesting is Renu is is, a, is very similar in the dynamics in the sense that it's also a divorced couple and a single mother and, and a small child that she's taking care of. But the yeah. difference here is that it's kind of like from a different viewpoint of divorce and parenthood because in this case, the mother is absent and, and, and oh. isn't really there for the kid. You know, so she's kind of like... She's kind of like the bad mother that the mother from Darkwater never wanted to be. <laughs> yes. And, and I think that's I think it's very interesting to watch these movies back to back and kind of see how Hideo's tackling these two different topics from different angles, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I can't say much more on that without spoiling it, so we're going to get into that in a minute. But uh, we're going to head into a break now and then come back and spoil the crap out of Renu for you. So if you haven't seen it, I do want to say that it's streaming on either prime or shutter i forget which or maybe tubi i think it's also on tubi so check it out there if you can otherwise we will see you in a moment if you've been enjoying killer horror critic please make sure to head to itunes and leave a review and rating as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me 
Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. Alright, welcome back, horror fans, to our episode here on the 1998 film Renu from director Hideo Nakata. So, as usual, just want to start off with who you want to talk about in this movie. You know, we Renu is not a film loaded with characters. We've got uh, our main character, Raiko, played by... I'm totally going to fuck up some of these names, played by Nanako Matsushima. You also have her child, played uh, Yoichi, played by Rikia Otaka, uh, and then the uh, the father figure, Ryuji, played by Hiroyuki Sonata. So who who do you want to talk about in Renu before I just complete, before I just <laughs> keep going on this list of characters and screen up names? <laughs> I Well, I will preface that we are in spoiler territory, so be yes, prepared to, for us to spoil everything. And look, I want to talk about uh, the dad, Ryuji, because like we were talking about before the break, this film does not spoon feed you anything. And I think that the dad character is really interesting in this because it's really easy to take him at surface level. It's mm. really easy to think that they got divorced because he didn't want to be with the mom anymore, that he's sleeping with his students, and he's just like a dad who doesn't really want to be there. Mm. Um, But we do have a scene later on after like when they're dealing with the curse they they've gone and looked into sadako's past they're trying to track down you know all of that stuff there's a moment where where the mom um raiko is just like hey when i go i want you to be there with me and he's just like the last person who was there when someone died went crazy i'm not doing that and she's like no you'll be fine and that's when we find out that he's got like kind of psychic powers and stuff like that and you really get the feeling from that scene that maybe she was not the nicest person to him either that like she potentially was degrading of like who he is as a person and that aspect of his life well well look i mean you get you get the sense from both of these parents that and these characters that they you know they're hideo's telling a um an average story here uh, mm-hmm. an unfortunately uh typical story here of you know two adults who got pregnant and yep. unfortunately were not meant for each other and it kind of destroyed their lives you know and yep. like <laughs> and like that's a, that's a shitty thing to say about pregnancy you know because yep. i don't i i hate the idea of anybody looking at it that way and you definitely never want the kid to grow up thinking that they were some kind of mistake that like ruined your life right you know because yeah. it, it should never be viewed that way and i and i'm sure a lot of parents who are in that situation don't view the kid that way or don't blame them right mm-hmm. you know it's not their fault but um but it is something that you get from the parents in this movie is that unlike again unlike the relationship with the parents in dark water in this case it feels like both parents just want nothing to do with any sense of family you oh, know yeah, like no. they <laughs> uh and you know, you definitely get the sense that like Reiko is not perfect. I, I actually, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Reiko is supposed to be uh, received as being like a good person. You know, no. I don't, I, I honestly don't think that's how you're supposed to view her character. I mean, she's, she's our hero, so Hideo definitely wants you to connect with her in some way. But I think that the movie's asking for you for you to connect with her on a level of not being perfect. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like she's, she's not that hero that you root for necessarily she's that hero that 
kind of makes you think of your own life and and where you fit in society because because a lot of us are kind of like Reiko, you know, like uh, like you look at the the super mom from Darkwater, right? And it's yeah. like it's like that's a really hard position to be, you yeah. know. Like my my sister's a single parent, and you know I I would qualify her on that level, but it's fucking hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Like she she definitely has a lot to vent about about how difficult that lifestyle is, and you know Reiko is more of this character of like. We can look at her, and while you might not relate to Supermom from Darkwater, you can look at Reiko and be like, "That might be me if I was in that situation." You know, like yeah. I, like I know Chris and I, like there's a reason we don't have kids. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, we wouldn't abandon our child, but we would definitely not be great parents. <laughs> It'd be tough to not do the things that Reiko's doing in the film. Like, look, Yoichi is—he's young. Um, he's like six years old, and he's you know walking to school by himself. Like, he's coming home by himself. He's having to cook his own meals. Like, our first scene with him, really, is her running late from work. And he's already set out her clothes for the funeral. And, like, that really sets the tone for the family dynamic that we're getting in this film. Right. Well, so, I before I get into Raiko, I didn't want to pass up this. Because mm-hmm. we, you know, you're talking about Ryuji's kind of psychic intuition or whatever. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that, you know, it's not talked about in the movie. But I get a, like, vague sense that Ryuji is that either one of the students he slept with he murdered or they committed suicide like right because of the legs yeah there so after after ryuji uh watches the film and is cursed there's a moment where he's sitting on this park bench doing his work and uh and a pair of legs i don't like to refer to him as a pair of legs but, but that's but all you of, see but a pair of legs walks up to him in like white shoes and a white skirt and and you know it's <laughs> It, it's it's very clearly like not Sadako, you know. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 he does not he does not react to this figure as being like some ghost that he doesn't know. He reacts to the ghost as being someone he does know. Yeah. And, and I think he even has like an inner monologue that's something of like, "Was it you?" or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think, like, what the hell is the backstory <laughs> there? Because we we never get into it. We never understand, or, or we never know for sure, like, why Ra- Raiko and Ryuji got divorced mm-hmm. or or split up. And we don't know what this moment's all about. Like, but, but when you just start to think about it, it's like, man, it really feels like, you know, Ryuji... I, I, doubt, I doubt it's a murder, but I think, I think that he slept with this student... And then when he cut things off because of Raiko, mm-hmm. I, I, it feels like she must have killed herself because it just there, there's a there's an, a, a sense of guilt there. Yes. <laughs> um, that just never talked about in this movie. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, w- no. I want to know more about that pair of legs. <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't see a great pair of legs and be like i want to know more about I those know legs. more about those gams <laughs> um i have to put in one last thing about ryuji because i love the fact that he fucking bullies an 80 year old man he sure does like look i have i have weird taste in men and if you bully an 80 year old man i love you i want to clarify <laughs> that i have never bullied an old person and i never will bully an old person <laughs> i just say that now but what if we're both cursed and he has info well, fair enough, but I, I just want to clarify for the audience, Chris does not love me because I beat up an old person. So. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't um, beat him up. He kind of beats him up. He no. puts him on the ground. That's enough he to He trips. Be- He's running away and he trips. Fine. He made that old man trip. Have you ever made an old person trip? I know I haven't. So. Uh, but anyway, so I, I really quickly just want to touch on Raiko and this, and this uh, kind of parenting dynamic here in the sense that, you know, 
again, it's just really interesting. I, I, I should have done more research on Hideo Nakata before doing this episode because I want to know, you know, what his life was like growing up because you definitely see something that he's exploring here with parenthood and broken families and divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, for those who uh, aren't familiar, or this is like your first time listening to us, uh, I am a child of divorce, and it's really fascinating for me, actually, to watch these two movies, because, no offense to either of my parents, um, <laughs> my, I, I've always, like, looking at these two, I really feel like my dad was kind of the super mom from Darkwater, uh-huh. in the sense that, you know, my dad was not the one who chose to get divorced, and so my dad, and just like that character, right? And my dad, you know, was the parent at the time who really tried to just make everything about me and my sister. You know, everything was about us and trying to do things with us and, you know, buying us stuff, which sucks. I, <laughs> I, I feel fat. I feel bad for parents that feel like they have to do that for kids after a divorce. But mm-hmm. but he, he made everything about us. Like my, my dad's life became secondary uh, when it came to us for a little bit after the divorce. Right. Meanwhile, my mom was kind of more like Raiko. My mom was spending more time with uh, our eventual stepdad and was kind of a lot more distant. You know, like mm-hmm. like my, you know, my mom used to be, uh, I used to be like a mama's boy, right? And <laughs> after the divorce, it wasn't really quite that relationship anymore. Oh. And, it, you know, so it's just, I think it's just really cool to watch these two movies back to back and realize that Hideo's kind of talking with these two movies about different sides of a divorce yeah because with the divorce you're very rarely gonna have both sides agreeing on it right you know it's it's usually there's one person wants to stay together and one person doesn't and Hideo with both of these movies is really talking about you know different sides of that and how each parent kind of reacts to it differently mm-hmm. and so like in Darkwater's case it's looking at a more positive parent parent makes it all about the child kind of viewpoint right uh-huh. and in Renu both parents just completely <laughs> abandon their child like they just they're yep. just straight up like you know what you're a mistake fuck you i'm gonna go live my life and right? have a good day six-year-old <laughs> so what do you think about the parent and family dynamics that are in this film well i think it speaks to like how you know so so again like speaking as a child of divorce i it speaks a lot to like how divorce kind of actually matures a child in a lot in a lot of ways you know yeah. and, and forces them to grow up so like you know <sighs> there are a lot of kids out there that go through terrible things as a, as a kid that they shouldn't have to. And, you know, those kind of things, they, they kind of wake you up to life a little bit. Right. So like, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I was bullied a lot and, you know, so I, I I was aware of the, the shitty parts of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the weird thing is, is like as a kid, you know, for most of us, or at least you hope most of us, uh, home is kind of a place where, you get to kind of escape that ugliness a little bit. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, it's not perfect. Like, home, like, I mean, you know, for God's sakes, you live with people, you fight <laughs> with them, you know? Um, so it's not perfect, but but home's kind of that place where, like, you don't, as a child, you don't expect uh, the ugliness to kind of work its way into your space, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, as a kid of divorce, like, it was kind of an eye-opener, you know? I was, I think I was, like, 14 or 15 at the time uh, when my parents split up, and... It, you know, it was just this really weird period uh, for my sister and I where it was realizing, like, oh, man, you know, like, our, our lives are never going to be the same. Like, yeah, it, I, it was kind of like that first time of accepting of, you know, life changes as you grow up. Mm-hmm. It's not, 
you know, like it, it's this feeling of, you know, <laughs> love goes away, you know, it, love goes away. People fight, uh, things change. What, what you think is set is not certain, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first times that I was really kind of g- coping with that in yeah. the sense, in that sense. So, so when I look at this movie, you know, that's really well reflected in Renew. Like Renew is a great, uh, is a great discussion on divorce and kind of how it affects the kid mm-hmm. because the kid ends up not being in the movie, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, like Yoishi is is very has a very little presence in the film. Yeah. He's almost completely forgotten about. You know, I think I think Yoishi's in like four scenes. Yeah. And and in all of those scenes, he's barely like, uh, you know, he's barely a person, and so. It's it's almost like what what I really love what Rena is doing here is it's kind of like a slap in the face to parents who have <laughs> you know who have maybe forgotten their kid a bit because mm-hmm. of because of something else going on in their lives and and Rena is kind of like this film where even though Yuichi's not in it a lot I feel like it's trying I feel like it has this message of like don't leave your kid behind like this you know because yeah. uh, that's really what's going on is it's so focused on the parents that. You as an audience member, you very quickly start to be like, what about Yoichi? <laughs> right? Like, they they keep kind of, the parents don't really acknowledge his existence ever. Like, there's repeated moments of the mom being like, cool, so just heat up your dinner when you get home. Like, they're doing research. And Ryuji asks her, like, well, you know, what about Yoichi? And she's like, he's fine. He's used to this. Yeah. Like, we keep getting those repeats. Well, the, the saddest moment for me is, like, they've gone to the grandfather's house. Um, while she's, you know, looking into the curse and he's fallen asleep on the floor in front of the TV and she picks him up off the floor and his response to her is welcome home. Yeah. Um, and that that very much speaks to what that family dynamic is of him falling asleep in front of in front of the TV alone all the time and waiting for his mom to come home. Yeah, I mean, that's the sad part. It's the fact that he's like laying his mom's clothes out because because right? what? What six-year-old is is taking care of their parents, exactly. you know? And, and that's kind of what happens here is, like, you know, Reiko is such a shitty mother <laughs> that Yoichi is taking care of her and mm-hmm. not the other way around, you know? And so, like, so, and, and that's an interesting dynamic because that, you know, my sister and I were similar. Like, when, when my parents were going through the divorce, it, it was like they almost completely forgot who they were. And mm-hmm. my sister and I had to grow up a lot and start taking care of ourselves, you know? There was a period where... Uh, I won't get into too much detail on this because it would embarrass my parents. But <laughs> there, there was a period where, like, my parents just weren't home at night. Yeah. You know, and, and it was my, and it was my sister and I having to take care of each other. And if if one good thing came out of that, it was that my sister and I became closer. Mm-hmm. But but it was a lot of nights of just like, where the fuck are our parents? <laughs> and Jesus. and that's kind of what ha- is what is happening here in Reno. But you know, going along with that, another another interesting thing that the film's kind of talking about here is. You know, Sadako herself is basically a lot like Yuichi in the sense that she is this forgotten child who, you know, who the parents essentially regret having. And, you know, a lot and and the kind of like the underlying theme of Renu is this concept of, you know, these parents that are basically trying to put the child back in the womb. (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's not and, and it's I'm, not wrong. I'm going to explain that more in a second, but you know it's it's really like Reno. A central theme of it is this idea of like putting the fucking kid back in the womb and <laughs> and, and and relinquishing all responsibility as a parent. Like you know and, and you know you mentioned Yoichi going to the grandpa's house. I think that's fascinating because the second that 
uh, Reiko gets any kind of responsibility with Ryuji telling her to, you know, spend some time with Yuichi, what mm-hmm. does she do? She Drops goes, him off at her goes, dad's place. She goes, oh, spend some time with him? Here you go, Grandpa. Like, she, <laughs> she wants no responsibility for Yuichi whatsoever. That, yeah. That's why for me, I feel like with Yuichi, it's, he watches the tape, not because anybody hands it off to him, but I think it's because Sadako is calling to him through his cousin. Yeah. Because I think that Sadako senses those similarities between the two of them. Oh, it's possible. I don't know about that, but but one last <laughs> thing that I'll say, I mean, for, I, I very much see your point there, but <laughs> one last thing I just want to get in before I move on, or before we move, one last thing that I just want to get in before we move on is that you know, I feel like a lot of people watch this and they're maybe confused about the psychic element, you know, and, and even if you watch the remake, which explains it a little bit more, I think there's probably still some confusion. And I just want to I just want to clear it up on like a metaphorical level. And I think what what is going on there and why you have this child who is so intuitive is the film's also kind of commenting on the fact that. Kids fucking like look into your soul, yep. all right? Like they're <laughs> they see everything. You know, they see everything, and they're not afraid to say it to you. You know, that's the big thing. Is like as adults, we all learn to be polite, and we're kind of you know we get to a point where we're more kind of worried about ourselves and consumed with ourselves that maybe we don't even notice things going on with other people. Mm-hmm. But kids are different. Kids are intuitive. Kids see right the fuck through you. Kids do not care about you know, making you feel bad. They will just say whatever comes to their mind, right? And so I love that that psychic element is in here because Yoichi is one of those kids, you know, and and similar to Sadako in a sense of, like, they both look right through you as a parent. (laughs) And and they, they know. They know what's going on. And Renu, I think, is talking about a little bit the stress of a parent and having a child in the sense that they make you feel the worst parts of yourselves yep. <laughs> like they there was no holding back right so so again i, I want to clarify like the movie is not in any way a uh a testament against having children it's mm-hmm. more so just you know kind of like a kind of like a, a venting a bit of of having kids in a family yeah you know in the sense that like once it happens you know you're just not you're not allowed to just be yourself anymore. You have a family now, mm-hmm. you know, and and so these two kids, they're they're kind of a reflection of like how much things change for you as an adult once you have kids, you know. Yeah. Um. But so so going along with that, and and touching on Sadako here, finally forty <laughs> minutes in, you know. Um. <laughs> it, what what are your thoughts on the curse of Sadako and the fact that it's a VHS tape? Like, why why does it work this way? Well, look, one thing I want to point out because I think it's fucking hilarious is the only reason we have a VHS tape in this is because the the urban legend that we hear in the beginning of the movie is that a small child didn't want to miss his TV show. And that's the whole (laughs) reason why he recorded her channel. Damn right. (laughs) Um, I think that's amazing. After that, look, I think with with the VHS tape, you know, it's during a time we didn't have DVDs or anything like that. I think a blank VHS tape is fucking perfect for the same reason that we talked about one missed call. For everybody who grew up in the 90s with VHSs and who recorded shit on their TVs, you cannot resist a blank VHS tape. You want to know what the fuck is on there. Like, there Mm. could be some secret good movie on there. And then when weird shit like Sadako's tape starts playing, you can't not watch it. Something weird. So 
I honestly think the VHS tape is perfect for luring people in of that time period. Matt's looking at me like, this is I, not what I wanted you to talk about I, at I, all. I, I just love that your answer is just, VHS tapes are creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, no, I think it's tying into this this whole mythos that's been around for a while of like the idea that you can, you know, psychically imprint on things like film or VHS. And, you know, this is really this VHS tape is her anger. This is her mm. rage and her anger at the world outside and what happened to her. And I think that what's really cool and tragic about this VHS tape and this curse, this curse, you have seven days. You have the amount of time that she had in that well. You have that amount of time because I think that that's what ends up happening. It, she, it took seven days before she actually died. Mm -hmm. And so you have to live with the same fear and anger and all the emotions that she had. She's passing on her death to you. And I think that that's so like intense and I fucking love it. So I have a different theory on that. Um <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I'll just say, you know, so there's a there's a film that I saw during the South by Southwest Festival called Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Mm -hmm. uh, it was directed by a guy named Jacob Gentry, who I ended up interviewing. Uh, he also did a film called, or he did a segment in the film called The Signal. Uh, really great director, but, um, you know, we ended up talking about this a little bit and this sense of, or, or this vibe of the, the VHS era, you know, because his film Broadcast Signal Intrusion... Uh, because that's what you all want to hear about right now during a talking about <laughs> Renew, right? Um, you know, it's basically about these events that took place in the 90s with uh, pirates that hijacked the signal and broadcast, you know, weird-ass videos, right? It's an actual event. You can look it up. It's super creepy. But we talked about this concept of VHS and how there's just something inherently stranger about a VHS tape than if you were to be handed a blank Blu-ray, right? Yeah. You know, so like... You know, we were we were talking about stories about how, like, as kids, you would have to, you know, there'd only be, like, that one person that had this movie on VHS, or, or you'd get, like, a VHS tape that had some weird kind of scribbling on it, or just mm -hmm. said, like, Evil Dead on it, you know, and you're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And and a Blu-ray, you know, unfortunately, just just not have the same effect. Like, if I mm -hmm. get a Blu-ray that says Evil Dead, I'm much less intrigued than I am if, than I, am if I get a VHS that says <laughs> that. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's nostalgia. Maybe that's from growing up in the period. I don't know, but there's something inherently stranger about it. But as far as like what this tape is for me and why, and something I actually didn't really think about until recently in prep for this podcast is, you know, something funny about Renew is, and the Rain remake is that this, this videotape is talked about so much, mm -hmm. you know, and how, and how it is the tape that curses you. That I think as an audience, we we build up the tape so much to be like this terrifying thing that's going to give us nightmares and make us not be able to sleep at night, right? Mm -hmm. And neither Renew nor The Rain presents a tape like that. Like, neither of them is this tape that really chills you to the core in the sense that you expect it to. Yeah. But what I think Renew does better than uh, The Rain remake is The Rain remake, the tape there, to me has actually very little significance. It just feels like a... It honestly just feels like a bunch of weird shit that they threw on there to try to be, like, cool and hip and weird, right? You know, like, oh, yeah. like oh, this is going to make people uncomfortable. We'll just have a giant centipede walking around on the floor. <laughs> Get freaked out, audience, you know? Uh, the difference is in Renu, I actually think that the, ha that the tape has a lot of meaning. Yes. And... It, but it's different from the, what you think it is because. <laughs> All right, fuck you too, buddy. 
Well, I, I'm just guessing that we have different opinions on this, but to me, the tape and Renu is honestly actually just a metaphor for sex. God damn. Yeah, no, we definitely have different thoughts on this. What? How the fuck is her watching her mom comb her hair sex? Easy. So, so, <laughs> so, let's let's take it scene by scene in the tape from Renu, right? Okay. So what do we have? Opening scene. We have a mom combing her hair in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you could say it's just a mother combing her hair. You could also say it's someone getting ready for a date. What happens next? You have uh, a bunch of these words, like, you know, Japanese uh, words flying around, Mm -hmm. and and we get the subtitle eruption. Mm -hmm. Now, this is in reference to the volcano that erupted, but you can also look at it as a metaphor for sex and and, and that eruption, right? What happens after that? We get an image of a bunch of dudes climbing up on a hill. Now, you again, you could relate that to the eruption from the volcano, or you could say, hey, that's a bunch of semen working their way towards <laughs> towards the egg. <laughs> I'm getting to a point with this. <laughs> I'm patient. And then what happens after that? You get a shot of Sadako's eye and the name Sada or Sadako, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then the last image you get is of the well, which is very womb-like in itself, you know? It's, it's this circular, like, wet, <laughs> moist thing that... Another thing ends up coming out of, and and what happens? Sadako is climbing out of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it's actually really easy to look at it and say this is basically a metaphor for like Sadako being born, and why I think that's important, and why I think that it's more than just like oh, it references sex. Like I'm not just saying that to say that it does that, right? Like uh-huh. it, I think it's important because again, this movie is all about parents wanting to shove the kid back in the womb Mm -hmm. and so to me it makes sense that sadako creates this tape of her being conceived and born and trying to climb out of this womb because it speaks to a kid that is just trying to be born and live their fucking lives and the parent is trying to push them back in does that make any sense it does (laughs) like look i get where you're coming from it i get where you're coming from I'm definitely of the type that I get sick of everything being a metaphor for sex. I'm not, um, I mean... <laughs> no, 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 this, this isn't a knock at you, because I think that you're right. I think that a lot of the things that you're describing in this does work for, you know, that thesis. I mean, look at it as not just being about sex. But look, at, look at it more as being the conception of Sadako. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the sex thing makes you feel uncomfortable, <laughs> like, just look at it, just look at it as being... Look at it as being the conception of Sadako mm-hmm. and her anger that... Her parents are shoving her back in that well, <laughs> aka the womb, instead of instead of letting her climb out of it and live her goddamn life. <laughs> uh, see, here's the thing: I can I can agree with you once we. It's weird. I can agree with you once we change the word. Okay. Because like for me, when we're when we're talking about conception things like that, because the way I view the film is that it's Sadako really talking about how I take it as her talking about how her childhood was kind of ripped away from her and the tragedy that led to her death. Um, Because it's talking about her mom and how the eruption changed her life. And I think what's really important when we look at the eye is the fact that it does just say Sada. It's not her full 
Uh, it's not her full name. And I want to say that it's missing the last kanji, which is the kanji for child. I think ko is child, if I remember correctly. Mm. And so it's talking about how she did not get to be the child that she, she should have been. And so she's going to rage and murder everybody. So yeah, I agree. still the same thing I'm saying. <laughs> I know. I just, I rebel and it just began boiled down to sex. It's a weird litter. Look, everyone who's opposed to sex, I got news for you. Everything in life is about sex in one I way or know another. know that. Every single thing that you do is about that in one way or another. Okay, I, not everything I do. Um, <laughs> anywho, kind of talking about some of this stuff, I want to know what your thoughts on how the film approaches death and deals with it. Well, I think it's simple. You know, so the this is one thing that I really love about J-horror compared to American horror is that in American horror, you know, not all the time, but but a lot of the time... Death is a lot of the time death in horror movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in horror, death is entertainment. Yes, you know, in 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 one way or another, it's it's entertainment. You know, and and I say that because you know American horror is you know we're the country that basically made slashers popular, creature features like we're mm-hmm. we're the ones that did that. You know, and and in all of those movies. Death is more uh, it's it's more there for entertainment value than anything else, and and I know a lot of you can disagree with me on that, <laughs> but but first and foremost, that's a lot of times what it is, and and I'm not saying that it's not that in other cultures, but when you look a lot of J horror films, there there's a conversation about death that is happening that isn't as prevalent in a lot of American movies, and you know so when I look at Renu. Something that's going on here is like the, these deaths really hit home and it, it hits home in a sense that this movie to me is talking about how death is so sudden and how death is a very lonely process, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you look at what's going on here, first of all, you have all these characters who who know that they're going to die. Like they're, yeah. they're aware of it. They, they get this phone call that tells them that they will die, you know, in seven days and they spend the next seven days dealing with that however they will but ultimately, they still end up alone when they die. Mm-hmm. You know, like our like our two girls in the beginning. They're having a sleepover together. They're hanging out. Yet our main girl still ends up dying alone. Yeah. You know, Ryuji or, or Ryuji. You know, he he's going on this whole adventure <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Raiko in trying to discover what's going on with the curse. And despite them being together the entire time during the movie. He dies alone. Yeah. You know, everybody dies alone eventually is kind of what this is saying. It's talking about how death is a lonely process and how it is sort of sudden in a sense, you know, like, because all of our characters, to me, the reason that they have this, this face of like utter shock and, and and are typically dying by like failure of the heart Mm -hmm. is to kind of show like how death comes for you suddenly. Like death is not... You know, even though death is being predicted for these characters, mm-hmm. it's still talking about how death is this intrusion that, you know, often comes unexpectedly. Yeah. Like nobody like nobody wakes up tomorrow and says, I'm going to go to the doctor today and find <laughs> out that I have cancer. You know, yeah. like nobody, nobody says that. <laughs> um, but but this film is kind of talking about how like, yeah, you know, that's that's how death works, because mm-hmm. one one day you are going to wake up and find out that you have cancer or one day you are going to wake up and have a fucking heart attack <laughs> while you're out jogging or, you know, one day you are going to be hanging out with your family and walking the street and get hit by a goddamn bus, you know, yeah. like something like it, it's just, it speaks to that element of death and how regardless of whether or not there are people around you, 
there is still something that is lonely about death. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still because you're you're the only one dying. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and to me that's what Reno's a lot about is it's about that uh that loneliness and that frustration and and it uses the the family dynamic and the divorce to really highlight that because it's a, you know because death in a sense is is you know it breaks up families it causes mm-hmm. it causes a, a a a shard of yourself to be broken off right uh i'm a little buzzed i don't <laughs> know if what i'm saying makes sense but but what i'm what i'm getting to is like you know this movie is about divorce and the loneliness that comes from that our child yuichi's alone mm-hmm. the parents are both relatively alone you know despite the fact that they have yuichi and each other in a sense uh like everybody's kind of alone because of this uh because of this broken piece of their family yeah and and then you just look at like what happens um with the funeral and the mother of the girl who dies you know like it's i i wrote down this note of like how death is kind of like this lonely room you know where now there's just like this empty room in that house that that is just that room of death for that mother now right I got I got dark. Uh, it got real dark, yeah. but but, well, but no, it, it I, was a dark movie. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I think you know the one thing that's guaranteed to all of us when we're born is that we will die. We all have that knowledge. You know, it becomes more. No, I'm never dying. Fuck you. You'll <laughs> live forever. <laughs> but you know, it is that thing that, like, as we grow up, we become not more comfortable with, but you know, we understand it a little bit better. And I think the thing for me with the ring is that, like. It's that reminder. Like, Sadako is that reminder. You will die. She's giving you a timeline, um, but you will die. And I think that this movie really highlights how much we're willing to try to fight for our lives and how surprising it is still for us. Even though we know death is guaranteed, it well, still comes for all of us in the end. Well, again, so so look at, if you look at, a, if you look at death as a metaphor in this movie, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what it's trying to do is like, Look at it like the the death of family, you know, or or the death of that complete family. Because mm-hmm. um, again, I I think that's a lot of what the film's talking about here is 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 the 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 division of this family, right? And I think what's going on is you have you know we're talking about the suddenness of death and how it kind of and the loneliness of it, but I think part of it too is you know to to serve as sort of a reminder for the fact that you have people around you you know like mm-hmm. you are it's like this reminder of like you are not alone unless you let yourself feel alone yeah you know because when you look at this family i mean raiko yuichi uh ryuji you know they're they're all treating their lives like they're living them separately but they're all family you know and mm-hmm. and it takes having the acknowledgement of death coming for them for this family to finally start to fucking act a little bit like a family, <laughs> you know, like it's they just don't a do, smidgen. They don't do very well with it, yeah. but but it's it's this reminder of like, hey, there's this person in your life that matters, you know, and and so it's like the you know Sadako's curse is almost like, <laughs> in a way, it's almost like a smidge of a good thing for them, and that it's trying to remind them of like how much life actually matters and how much the life of the people in their lives matter, you know. And like it's like a wake up call, basically. <laughs> I would agree with you if Raiko didn't kill both Ryuji and her dad. Well, she didn't. <laughs> I mean, yes, but she didn't intentionally kill them, and she didn't kill her dad. I, I imagine the plan with the dad is they're going to show him the tape and then move on and have him show somebody a tape, and it just keeps going from there. But so speaking of that, you know, the one last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up here is ultimately in this film they do decide the way to overcome the curse is to make a copy of the tape and show it to somebody else 
and have them deal with it. So, like, what do you think of that idea and, like, how we're overcoming the curse here? <laughs> I, I think it's really, look, it's harsh. Oh, my God, does it hurt? Like, because it's, I think it's the, it's Sadako's rage. You know, normally in Western films, a lot of times you find the body, the curse is done. And Sadako's just like, fuck no, you found out about my trauma? Great, I'm still gonna fucking kill you. I am promised a soul. I am gonna take a soul. I don't give a shit who it is. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that the only way you can avert the curse from yourself is to doom somebody else. And I feel like that puts a real heaviness on all of it. Like, what are you willing to do to continue your existence? Are you willing to sacrifice somebody else so that you can keep on living? Because that's ultimately what Sadako is asking. It's She is asking either, you let me take you, and that's it's done. It could be over, it could be done. Or you pass this motherfucker on and you get to live, but you got to live with the knowledge that you just killed your dad. I, I again, <laughs> I again disagree a little bit. So <laughs> I, I think, I think, look, on the surface, absolutely. Like on, you know. I like only the, look at the surface. <laughs> I don't mean to be insulting. Like when I keep saying the surface. Like, no, that's what I'm here so, for. So, some of us just look at things differently, you know? And like, I, like, you know, look on, on, on surface value. Yes. That, that is exactly what's going on. Like you're, you're having to make this choice of, do do I let death take me or do I let it go on to somebody else, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's different. Like, I, I kind of like how it relates to the film It Follows in that way, where It Follows is similar yeah. in the sense that you have to have sex with somebody to pass on this curse. Only the difference with It Follows is the curse eventually comes back to you at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be the case in Renu necessarily. But I, I, think, I think, again, uh, on a more thematic level, I think that... You know, again, speaking from personal experience as a kid of divorce, you know, it. I, I think that if you look at the movie as being all about broken families and divorce and like how it affects everybody, which is which is what I do think is going on at the at the heart of Renew, is this idea of taping or, or copying the tape and passing it on to people. I almost kind of look at it as like this idea that divorce and, and, and breaking up of family has a ripple effect. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it has a ripple effect that like, you know, I don't think a lot of people think about at the time that surprisingly has a really long reaching <laughs> uh, effect, you know? So I don't, I don't remember how much I talked about this on the dark water episode, but like when my, when my parents got divorced, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like just our family experienced the divorce everybody that we yeah. knew experienced it in one way or another like you know because my parents have been married for quite a while and and you know they've got me and my sister and and we've got years of like hanging out with both of their families and so at a certain point it's like okay well now everybody related to us had to accept we're never going to see the four of them together again right mm-hmm. it's it and and same with their friends you know their friends then had to decide well, which of them am I kind of on the side of, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, so it causes, uh, it caused the split up of like their friend groups. And therefore, you know, the people that my sister and I saw and got to hang out with. And then, you know, years down the line, like both my sister and I still have weird little things that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that are a part of our personality because of what happened with our parents, you know? So, so I guess when I look at this, it's, it's really just this idea that like, you know, as unfortunate as it is and as much pressure as that is on people when they're going through something like this, 
it, you know, it's just, it's this kind of acknowledgement of like how it it is long reaching. Like it's not, and, and and you know, if you want to look at it a different way, maybe talk about like how death is it, it has these tendrils that reach out way yeah. further than the death itself, right? You know, and just this idea that like this stuff doesn't doesn't just end with the family. It doesn't just end with the death. It it reaches out to everyone around it. You know. Mm-hmm. And that just keeps going and going and going. So, like, everybody who's affected by that, they then affect everybody around them and so on and so on. Yeah. You know, so it's just, like, it's obviously a bit of a downer <laughs> and that's very dark. <laughs> it's a dark movie. But but Renew is not a happy film. No. You know? It's just not. And no. <laughs> Child murder rarely is. Yeah, exactly. So, that, so that's kind of how I take it is it's really just about, like, that tape and the idea of copying it and giving it to somebody else. It's kind of like this idea of like your your trauma is affecting others around you and and kind of giving them a taste of that and then mm-hmm. you know it, I don't know it's it's a weird yeah, way to look at it but <laughs> no I think it works I I like that theory better than mine which is like your life is built on the backs and blood of others indeed so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway so we gotta start wrapping up so uh, who is your killer idiot of Renew. The grandpa, if he watched that fucking videotape. Why the grandpa? He doesn't know what he's watching. Reiko just calls him up and is like, hey, I need you to do a favor for Yoichi. And and That's her presenting true. the favor is probably just like, watch this videotape. And the grandpa's like, all right, that seems easy enough. I know. I just feel so bad for him. Yeah? <laughs> don't watch that videotape, grandpa. No, it definitely sucks for him. I'm going to say Reiko, and I just wrote the note of, why would you watch that? You know, she's... She's this reporter who puts her her work over her family, which I didn't get much into. Mm-hmm. And and that's another thing that I think this film's talking about is how like yep. your family is one thousand percent more important than your fucking work, mm-hmm. <laughs> always. Um, but but yeah, she's my idiot because just like you know, this tape is supposed to curse <laughs> people. You feel like you have evidence that that is true. You, Why the hell would you watch it? That's the thing is, your niece just died of this. Like, you have concrete proof. You suspect that your niece died because of this videotape, and you're gonna watch it? That's what interns are for. And then, like, how how unsatisfied must you feel after watching this, like, one-minute tape and just being like, that's it? Yep. I get a fucking woman in a mirror brushing her hair, some eruption bullshit, and a a well? She (laughs) She gets a metaphorical sex scene. Yeah, she she has a metaphor for sex, and then she's like, "I would have actually rather watched the real thing." <laughs> where where is my porno? <laughs> if I'm if I'm gonna watch a fucking tape that's gonna kill me, it might as well be porn instead of this fucking film student artistic bullshit. <laughs> oh, that'd be my nightmare. Yeah. So anyway, um. So yeah, no, mine's Raiko. So what about your killer death of? Renew. I mean, it has to be Ryuji because we get to see Sadako, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely Ryuji. You know, as we were talking about at the beginning, when we don't want to spoil things, it's, I mean, for God's sakes, like, Sadako climbing out of the TV is yep. one of the scariest fucking things from the late 90s. Like, oh, it, it terrified me. When I watched that movie originally, it's when I was still living at home and I did not have a bed frame. I lived on a mattress on the floor because I was that nerd. And I remember getting out of bed in the middle of the night and getting out of my bed like Sadako crawls across, crawls out of the television, and it scared the shit out of me. So you scared yourself by acting like Sadako? Yeah, it made me think about her, and then I got freaked out. You're fucking weird. I, I know. I got freaked out for a legitimate reason. Of hey! I, 
of I remember after well so this wasn't after seeing Reno it was after seeing the remake but after seeing the remake with a friend of mine you know we both went home and I had at the so so let me let me let me educate all of you who <laughs> you know who grew up in the 2000s and you just fucking have iPads attached to yourself from like the fucking moment that you're born out of your mom's vajayjay you know like it's Believe Matt, it or, Matt's having an old man moment. <laughs> believe it or not, there was a time where fucking cell phones and iPads and computers were not attached to your face. And so <laughs> so in in the 90s when the ring came out, uh we had we had one source of internet and that was the computer in our basement, right? <laughs> and in the basement, uh you would sit at the computer and behind you was a crawl space and for whatever reason the the opening to the crawl space was just open like there was no covering on it so it was just like this big black hole behind you and i remember just being on the computer like after seeing this with my friends and uh talking on AOL chat remember remember, <laughs> mes- remember inst- messenger <laughs> instant messenger i miss instant messenger every day yeah it was better than twitter you know why cuz you just talk to your goddamn friends instead of having fucking random <laughs> assholes come in and tell you that you're an idiot for like an alien 3 which has already happened to me multiple times today um so <laughs> but anyway um you know and we're just talking on it and my buddy started just joking about you know, some Sadako like crawling out of the crawl space at me, and you know, freaked me out. It yeah. freaked me out. <laughs> fucking big black space behind me in the fucking basement. You all are lucky that you don't have to experience things like that anymore. <laughs> the houses you lived in were freaky. Yes, they were. I, I have always lived in terrifying houses. Probably why I gravitate toward tour. Um, <laughs> but all right. So, lastly, who was your killer MVP of Renew? Uh, that'd be uh Ray Inu for Sadako. I think that she just did a fantastic job. Get the fuck out of here. Sonic was in the movie for like two minutes. I don't give a <laughs> shit. She's cool. Fine. I mean, she's no what's-her-face from Juwan, but I'll give it to you. Um, I'm going <laughs> to fucking dive across this table. I'd like to see you try. You're not even athletic to get her across half this table. I'm more athletic than you are, bitch. <laughs> Bullshit. I run faster than you. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, I think you forget that you ran track 20 years ago. <laughs> Forget it. what sports did you play? Oh, none. Oh, whatever. You, I played bitch. in my free time. I didn't have to play at school. Anyway, uh, Chris <laughs> wins this argument. Um, my, I my, my killer MVP is uh, is Koji Suzuki because I just think that l- this being prefaced with I haven't actually read the novel, but you're gonna credit someone you haven't even read their work. Quiet, you. I, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't read the novel. So I don't, admittedly, I don't know all the differences, but I will say, like, just look, based on the core of the the film and the core of the idea, I just think it's a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this this movie touched us at a time where, like, you know, we were just beginning to see more technological horror working their way into the genre, mm-hmm. and and VHS tapes, like, they, they just have this inherent fascination to a lot of us, right? And so I just think the idea of this ghost being passed through this mysterious VHS tape that, frankly, any of us would be guilty of receiving and probably watching because we're curious. Yeah. You know, like, I, I just think it's such a great concept. So, uh, so no, yeah, I got to give it to Koji. That's fair. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so one last thing we got to do, I know we're running over time, but... At the end of the month, we always like to do a ranking. I totally forgot to do that for last month. I'm sorry. I suck. <laughs> uh, but, 
But with all the films that we've watched this month, so we've got, you know, we've got Renu, uh, Tomie, uh, One Miss Call, Dark Water, Juwan. How, how would you rank these movies for the month? Uh, so for me, coming in at number five is Dark Water, which I like it, but we have a lot of good films this year. Sure. Or this month, whatever the fuck. It's uh, a month. <laughs> it's a month. Number four would be Tomie. Uh, number three is The Grudge. Number two is Ringu, and then number one is One Missed Call, because I love that movie. Yeah, so we have almost the exact same ranking this time. <gasps> uh, so <laughs> That never happens. My taste is piss poor. It is piss poor, but that's yep. okay. I still love you. Um, No, so I, I have Dark Water at the bottom, specifically because I think all five of the films that we talked about this month are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a, a bad one in the entire bunch. Nope. Um, but Dark Water is just one of those where, like, it's, it's just not one that I crave to watch all the time. It's a yeah. really good story. It's just not, it's not the kind of film that I want to just turn on every once in a while because I feel like it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to Tomie. Tomie is another really great one, but Tomie is also kind of a slower film that really asks for a lot of patience from you. Yeah. And so it just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's also not one of my favorites. And then I have Renu and... <gasps> I know, I know. Everybody hates me right now because Renu is the most popular one. But I, you're but gonna I, have people get angry with you instead of me. They'll still be angry at you for some reason. Yeah. Um, but, so, <laughs> uh, but but I have Renu there because you know I just I just think that again Renu is a really good story. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know in terms of horror, it has less going for me than the other two, which is why I then rank Juwan the next. Because I think Juwan's actually a really fascinating story. It's a really, to me, that's a really creepy ghost story. And it does a great job of, you know, consistently just keeping the audience on their toes and giving you a lot of things that just get under your skin, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get why others maybe don't like it as much as something like Renu because it's a very confusing film. <laughs> I still don't know what happens in that movie. It just but, ranked where it did because the ghosts are cool. Yeah, but I but I just like it because I, I view Juwan as more of a horror anthology, you know. And it's not mm. it's not talked about a lot in that way, but it should be because it's it's a bunch of different stories and how people are being affected by this house. And we always talk about it as like being this uh th- this, you know, typical narrative, but it's not that. It's it, I view it more as in a horror anthology. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at it that way, it's a lot more forgivable in the fact that it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. <laughs> that uh and then lastly i just rank one miss call because i think one miss call has everything yes you know one one miss call is entertaining it's fun the kills are great i mean it's basically like the final destination of the j horror films yep you know takashi miki brings brings a great sense of like camp and scares to it it's just it's to me it, it's the most fun of anything that we've talked about this month <laughs> yeah well can i just say in that terms for people who potentially have a hard time with j-horror because it's a little bit slower please watch sadako versus kayako look <laughs> this movie is is dumb and i say that in a loving way it doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's the freddy versus jason of j-horror but Pretty like much. yeah it's got like Tons of gore. It's ridiculously over the top. So if you have been on the fence about J-horror stuff and don't like those slower paced movies, just watch that. I fucking love it. It's my favorite. I, I think Chris is just really hoping that patrons vote for Sadako versus Kaiko for the bonus episode this oh, month. Oh, <laughs> is it on the voting? It is. Um, But so speaking of, so, so that's going to do it for us on Renew. So, uh, and that's also going to wrap up our month on the Ghost of J-horror. So, mm-hmm. 
we'll be having our next theme being voted on soon. Uh, I want to give a, and so we're going to be moving into our Patreon content now where we're going to talk about our thoughts on the fact that in the original Renew, it is the father who kills Sadako, and in the remake, it's the mother. Might seem pretty whatever to most of you, but I but I think there's a little bit of there's a little bit of stuff there to talk about. So there's some stuff. So, so we're gonna get into that. We're also gonna talk about uh, the ocean motif that runs throughout the entirety of Renew and kind of what that's all about. So if you like to hear that, just go to Patreon.com/slash/KillerHorrorCritic for just a dollar a month to get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to our killer members, Ben Scouten, Michael Campbell, uh, Martin Achetta, Seth Vermont, Kelsey Lynn, and John Readams. Just thank you so much for all of your support and everything that you do for us. Uh, and yeah, that's going to do it for us on Renew. So we'll also be voting on our next theme soon, and we'll let you know when that's happening. Uh, or, and we'll let you know the results of that this weekend, probably. So keep an eye out for that on Twitter at Killer Critics, but otherwise, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>